0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network, and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 78.
1: I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I have. Scottish. I can complain about things.
0: Yuck. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the first Doctor story, the William Hartnell in The Keys of Marinus. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. hi Jimmy. Hey Dom. So the keys of Marinus. Uh, we're continuing our march through the first Doctor's stories. As we have, uh, we've skipped one, uh, Marco Polo, uh, because it doesn't exist. Uh, in, on, video. We, on video. On uh, video. The audio is out there, but uh, and some this fan. You said fan animation.
2: Uh, I'm not sure if there's, if there are fan animations of this one, there probably are. You can definitely get the audio and I've heard the audio from Marco Polo and I wish, and there are some production stills, which look gorgeous. Um, I wish it still existed on video, and I really hope they make an animation of it because it's, a, it's really a good story. Mm. Um, and it also explains why Ian is wearing such an unusual <laughs> silken costume in, in the Keys of Marinus because he's, he's wearing like these silk pajama type costume that he was given uh, in Mongolia in uh, Marco Polo. That
0: was going to be so, my, my first question is, what is he, yeah.
1: Ian wearing this costume? Uh, and I just looked on YouTube and there is a site called Who Recons that has created this in what looks to be fairly primitive CGI. But mm-hmm. it's at least been something's been recreated. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's cool. Marco
0: Polo. Uh, so we've skipped that one for now. And there we're, we're, right now we're doing uh, The Keys of Marinus, which is a six episode uh, serial. That aired by Terry Nation. By Terry mm-hmm. Nation, who's usually writes the Dalek episodes. I mean, he's the creator right. of the Daleks. Uh, but he's doing this one. Uh, no Daleks in this one. Um, and uh, aired in April and May of 1964. It's the first season for the first Doctor. So we still have Susan, Ian, and Barbara uh, continuing their journey. They still haven't gotten back to London, uh, con- uh, contemporary London, 19- 1964, where they started. Um, and... <laughs> They land on this planet Marinus on an island of glass surrounded by a sea of acid. Which uh, is cool. It's very cool. Uh, they encounter uh, this figure, Arbiton, who tasks them with the quest to the re- classic quest story you know, yeah you, yes. you have go the most, find
2: these mcguffins
0: yes the four of uh, the five operating c- keys to a machine called the conscience of marinus and he is the keeper of the conscience of marinus uh, and they have to travel to these five different locations or i mean four different locations to find the keys while avoiding the evil
1: uh, vord who are trying to seize them for their own purposes. And i was I was really surprised by this episode. This is one of the the first Doctor episodes I've never seen before. This is the first time I've seen this. My my uh, watching of early Who is kind of weak. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> weak. I haven't watched a lot of these episodes. Of course, some of these episodes are ones that have been recovered in, say, the last 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know if this, uh, this serial in particular, but a lot of these early first Doctor episodes that do exist have been recovered relatively recently. Um, so I was surprised by this episode, first of all, by how elaborate it was. Yes. Yeah. This serial is probably one of the most elaborate of the early Who series I've ever seen. I think they shot half their uh, set building budget just on this serial, um, but also how dark it was. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, really.
2: It's clear they haven't yet in a, in a number of respects, they haven't yet developed the formula that will tend to govern the series going on. I, I really like the keys of Marinus as a serial. It's um, it in it. The series is kind of stretching its sci-fi wings it, mm-hmm. because it, unlike, I mean, we had, we had a lot of this actually in the Daleks in the original Dalek story. It was a fairly ambitious story in terms of the sets and the environments that we went to all of this this new planet, Marinus, which is now the second planet the series has ever visited after Mm -hmm. Scarrow. But it doesn't just all take place in near proximity. Um, We get a multi-environment story where we have the island surrounded by the Sea of Acid. We have another city environment that at first looks like it's kind of Greco-Roman, but then it turns out it's it's really kind of a slum. We have a jungle set, we have an Arctic set, we have a city set, and so we get a bunch of different environments uh, that we kind of go through in a in a connected MacGuffin hunt that has been compared to a much later season right. of the show. Mention that, yeah, in the Fourth Doctor's time, the key to time, where they had to retrieve the individual pieces of the key to time. Also, one uh, thing to note about this, there were those um, movies, theatrical movies that were made in the 60s about Doctor Who starring Peter Cushing, and they were both based on popular Dalek stories, and they considered making a movie out of the Keys of Marinus, uh, but that didn't end up happening. Mm,
0: Interesting. So... uh... So I thought that was a that was a very inter- it was an interesting idea that they they decided to break this story up into basically five different locations, um, and and in, and in a large chunk of this, the Doctor isn't present at all uh, on the yeah, oh, jungle set and old, and in the Arctic episodes. set,
1: yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, that they that that's something they're pioneering because back then Doctor Who was in production and airing like 40 to 50 episodes a year. Mm-hmm. So um, they needed to find ways to give the cast a break. And and the way they did that was by having someone disappear for a couple of episodes. And that's the first time they've done this. William Hartnell at this point had been working for almost a year. And so he got a couple weeks vacation and they, by having him jump ahead – two uh mm-hmm. to two, two slots in finding the keys of Marinus so that he so the actor could take a break
0: and in fact you can see a decided difference in the doctor from the beginning of this story to the end mm-hmm. uh, his his energy levels and his uh even yeah, his ability so. I mean in the first couple of episodes especially uh he's um or the fir- the first episode especially he's um
2: more tired.
0: Yeah, he stumbles. He flum, flubs a bunch of lines, and uh, mm-hmm. in, and in, in this. But later on, uh, in the in the last couple, much more on, much more uh, uh, energetic. So it's very very interesting to see the differences. Um, and, and there's actually
2: he, he when he does come back, there's actually a line. Um, where he says improve rather than prove and fans have thought that's a blown line, but no, it was actually written that way in the script and he delivered it correctly. Yeah. That,
0: it's a very, I, I, I saw that. I wasn't sure why that would have been written that way in the script. I, I think they were trying to simulate the natural,
2: the fact that we naturally do make speech errors and, um, but they could normally just count on William Hartnell to do that natively. They didn't
1: need to write it into the script. Right. You know, that might've flat out been a typo by Terry nation that no one caught until they were actually filming. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the episodes, I love the title of each of these episodes too. You have the sea of death, uh, oh, the velvet the web, acid. yeah, the, <laughs> the velvet web, the screaming jungle, uh, the snows the of snow- terror and the sentence of death. Yeah, <laughs> I just love that. Uh, it's very classic uh, TV serial sort of names uh, over the top. Um, so they land that you know, we have this uh, the TARDIS. We have miniatures, miniature models, which is, uh, I think, new at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, yes, where we, this,
2: this has the first miniature model TARDIS landing.
0: And so we see the TARDIS uh, materialize without the TARDIS sound that we've come, become used to.
1: Right. Yeah. Both yeah. landing and takeoff. They didn't have the sound.
0: Was this... Now, you have to remind, remind me, because we've been jumping back and forth so much. Did, did they have the TARDIS sound at this point? Yes. It's, yes. But only from it the was, inside of the
1: control uh, room, Both in and out. Okay. Yeah.
2: So this may just be a production error that the sound designers forgot to include it or something. Okay. That, things, like, things like that happen. There's a later episode in the uh, third Doctor where the TARDIS rematerializes and instead of fading into existence, it just pops into existence. And the reason for that is the doctor hadn't had access to the TARDIS for so long that the special effects guys had forgotten how they brought it in.
0: (laughs) 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 That's good. (laughs) It's so funny to see like how laid back people were back then for this sort of thing compared to the way things
1: would be done today. Like like today, no one would ever let that go. Well, and the difference, too, is, you know, the the production schedules were so much tighter. Again, you know, they're doing, you know, almost every week for a year and they've got to crank these out. It's almost like, um, you know, daytime soap dramas where when they film, they just got to keep go, 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 go and just let the flubs.
2: Right, right. A while back, I was rewatching some episodes of Dark Shadows, which was a soap opera. It was a gothic soap opera that I actually watched when I was a little kid because it had vampires and stuff in it. Um, (laughs) And I was fascinated, uh, like early Doctor Who, you know, they have a cliffhanger in each episode and then they have a recap scene. At the beginning of the next mm-hmm. episode to show you that cliffhanger and then how they get out of it. And on Dark Shadows, they would—they were on such a tight production schedule, they would re-film the cliffhanger scene. And you could see the differences because the sure. actors would say lines subtly differently or move slightly differently. You could see this is not the same scene as we right. saw last time.
1: <laughs> There was one, one spot I saw a, a definite production flub where I can't remember which companion it was, but you know, rotated through the wall, and mm-hmm. you could see behind the set and the production guys, you know, the crew standing there as the <laughs> wall opened. Yeah,
0: yeah, the the but, one of the board when they got sucked into the the oh, big absolutely. pyramid. Oh. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the companions,
2: I had a note that uh, I just really think one of the nice things about. About this series and about this era of Doctor Who is the companions, Ian and Barbara and Susan are just genuinely nice people. Yeah. You know, I watch them on screen and it's like, I would like to hang out with these people. William Hartnell, I like him as Doctor Who, would not as personable. Right. But (laughs) Ian and Barbara and Susan are just genuinely friendly people.
1: Right. Although Susan can get a little annoying at times. (laughs) She can. They they really do play up her...
0: Uh, the the childishness of her even though she's supposed to be about what 15 or 16 teenage uh, yeah yeah, they kind of overplay it they really play her younger than than that um, At least she's not katie kaboom katie kaboom which is that from? oh
2: it's it's uh it's a segment on the animaniacs about a teenage girl who literally becomes a monster when she has mood swings
0: I
1: forgot
0: uh, about that. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, I, I missed Animaniacs as a. Oh, as a, you, you, need you need to gotta go, back. You gotta go back. You got to go back. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, of course,
1: the funny part is Carol Ann Ford at this time. I believe she was mid-20s. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, that's a, a, but that's a problem. The problem that happens is you, You. they often get actors who are older than the age of the character, but the, but the actor forgets what they were like at that age. The, the, the exactly. difference isn't as, as great as they, they end up playing it. Um, I, one of the things that, that apparently is true of companions to the doctor right from the beginning is there. Is the fact is they don't tell the doctor when things that he should know. Like for example, <laughs> when he sends Susan back to the TARDIS to get uh, shoes for Ian, um, she does what every companion does. She sees footprints in the sand where there shouldn't be any. And instead of going to tell her grandfather, she follows the footprints don't don't wander off
1: funny (laughs) we talked about rose doing that in the last episode we talked about idiot's lantern
0: yes a a very early pattern is established uh (laughs) with the companions uh and so and of course she ends up getting you know captured um and so we have these creatures the the vord who are look look like guys in diving suits with with funny funny
2: helmets and they were kind of they were kind of meant to be the kind of the new hot thing after the Daleks, but they didn't end up being so hot. Although there is some spin-off
1: media, there are a couple of big Finnish plays that have the Vord in them. So they once again raided the BBC cost, <coughs> me, costuming department and found a bunch of wetsuits and said, these will work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's well, make uh, funny helmets for them. So are the Vord supposed to be
0: humans inside these costumes?
2: Yeah, is- they may be. Aliens, but they look like they're supposed to look like humans inside those costumes. Like
0: Arbaton looks like a like a human, right? Okay, because because what happens is is they they use these vehicles to to uh, cross the sea of acid. Uh, these little submersibles, and one of the submersibles springs a leak, and the acid gets inside, and and basically dissolves a void in the his void and leaves a suit behind. Um, yeah. So the suit is not their body, but it's just they wear it. I can't imagine wearing a wetsuit, including the flippers, while trying to run around this 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 uh, giant pyramid. <laughs> it just seems inefficient. Maybe change it, out it, of that, guys. Yeah, it does. In this episode, now they change this a little bit
2: in some of the spinoff media, but in this, it's implied that the Vord are just a faction of. The other people from Marinus that mm-hmm. are re- that found a way around the conscience wow. of Marinus. Well, and that's... In fact, their immunity to the conscience of Marinus could be related to the the costumes they
1: wear. Well, and it's it's um it's kind of implied that they're that the Vord looked like other humans because the companions are asked, you know, are you Vord? You could it's be Vord. Right. right. I can't remember exactly when, but there's some point where they mention that. So yeah.
0: So let's talk about the conscience of Marinus. It's a, this is a very uh, interesting concept. This is a very, mm-hmm. I, I, at the center of this story. Uh, it's a so,
2: giant plastic dodecahedron.
0: Right. That uh, acts as a an external imposed conscience. Um, mm-hmm. It was a judge and jury that was never wrong. But it, yeah, how about that? <laughs> but but it was then made more and more powerful, so it eventually took over as the conscience of every person on the planet so no one could ever choose bad. No one could ever make an, a, an evil choice or a wrong choice. They don't have to have the burden of free will. Exa- exactly. <laughs> they eliminated evil from the minds of men for seven centuries, Arbaton says. But then the Vord uh, developed an immunity or some, somehow were able to avoid the influence yeah. of the machine, and they turned off the machine and hid the keys so the ward couldn't use the machine to control everyone and um, make them evil, right? Right, uh, and because the machine takes away
1: free will, I mean, hey, what what an idea! Well, yeah, well, I like no. the idea though that they took the one key and they, they put it on top, like you might put your key on top of your, you know, above your door, so
0: <laughs> yeah, they have
2: one key right yeah. yet, just on top of the machine. I find it just – I find the way the conscience of Marinus is handled in this just fascinating because it's so different than everything else that happens later in the series. I mean we've noted how at the beginning – and even the show has noted. Peter Capaldi's Doctor noted at the beginning he wasn't really a hero. He was just traveling. And wow, is that on display here Mm -hmm. because in every future incarnation of Doctor Who – Free will has a huge priority and to imagine the doctor not really having a problem. I mean, he does at the end say he values free will more than than uh, what the conscience does. But he's not passionate about it at all. He kind of like doesn't really have a problem. I mean,
1: the, the only reason why they did this whole adventure wasn't to help them. It was just so they could get back into the ship. Yeah.
2: And he's like, doesn't have a problem with, oh, okay, we'll help you rebuild your mind control device as long as we can get back into the TARDIS. And it's not just the doctor. And I think this is kind of where the macguffin aspect of the plot shows. A MacGuffin is something that motivates the characters, but not really the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and even the characters in this are kind of blasé about whether they get the conscience functioning again or not.
0: Mm-hmm. right they're just they need, they need the keys because they, they had to they they create had to create this Terry nation in writing this had to create a situation in which the doctor didn't d- didn't have access to the tardis so Arbuton mm-hmm. puts a, a shield around it four um, shield yeah the four shield uh, and and give them a reason to cooperate with Arbiton uh in his quest to re- to retrieve these keys and so yeah. like you said the the doctors motivation is well gotta get back in the tardis um I guess we'll help you enslave the the planet of Marinus again <laughs> through this Yeah, machine. exactly.
2: <laughs> and and but even the Marinans like, um, um, are uh, his daughter, Sabitha, you know, and Sabitha yep. and her the other guy too, the other young guy, Altos. love interest, Altos. I mean, they they're kind of blase about it. the The people they meet are kind of blase. Everyone is kind of blase, <clears throat> which is interesting. I found it remarkable that um, Arbitan himself admits to the Doctor that he's lost all of his followers. And his emissaries haven't returned. And I'm going, why would you help this loser? <laughs> <laughs> he's already admitted his project has fallen apart and he can't attract followers. Obviously, there's not a lot of support for this viewpoint on this planet. <laughs> and and then if he's locked you out of the TARDIS, but he lets you back into his pyramid castle why don't you just twist his arm until he shuts the force field off? <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> you, you do outnumber him at this mo- at, the, at this point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Why didn't they just sit there with their little time rotors and keep clicking until they got back? He's already turned <laughs> off the force field and run for it. Right.
0: <laughs> right. Right. So they're, they're travel dials. That's the way that they solve this problem of the uh, no access to the TARDIS. So how do we get everywhere and get to all these different locations on this planet is the, they have these transporters,
1: uh, that they call Which, travel dials. I, I thought they looked like Dick Tracy wristwatches. Yeah. yeah, They're,
2: they're yeah, kind of just... like the time ring that uh, the doctor is given in Genesis of the Daleks. You wear it on your wrist and it'll take you places. Only these are limited to taking you to places in space that are pre-programmed rather than places in time.
0: Right. And we see versions of this even in New Who where River Song has one, uh, The uh, Captain Jack has one. Uh, So it's, it's, uh, it's the later ones are time enabled, but these are just to move you around Marinus. Right. So, so trans transportation, instant transportation is a feature of the universe, uh, not just the Mm -hmm. TARDIS. Uh, so, uh, they, so that's, I mean, really the, the, the sea of death, the first episode is setting this all up. It's not a whole lot that happens, but it sort of sets the stage to send, uh, the doctor and companions out, and um, the the doctor and Susan and Ian um, and Barbara all leave at the same time. And they, well, Barbara
2: the... leaves. Barbara leaves a few seconds earlier, right. Which then apparently becomes a few hours earlier by the second episode because she's her situation has changed so much. She clearly didn't land there a few seconds before the rest of them.
0: This is a, a an issue I was going to bring up, which is that. Um the 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 transportation sort of has like it's sort of in it's inconsistent. Um mm-hmm. you know, they, they leave generally at the same time and then someone arrives hours or days even. I, I mean I got the sense that maybe she got there a, a, several days early, but the the way she's already change clothes she's so familiar with everything um she's met with the leader of the play yeah yeah i mean just this whole strange like it like how? Like they don't and they don't seem to think it's strange they're sort of like oh you know yeah. it's expected um
2: yeah i think we're meant to employ the mst3k mantra at this point it's really just it's just a show i should really just relax <laughs> <Exactly. Yeah. laughs>
0: i think of that as the uh the william shatner mantra but uh, similar uh idea <laughs> uh it's, so she gets there and um that they they've arrived after her they walk to this door and they were in this like you'd said uh jimmy this a uh, greco-roman paradise um and barbara is in this uh Flowing well, don't, robe. Don't and, forget,
1: I mean, they, they, they walk in, there's this alarm with the annoying siren yeah. and lights. And, right, right. Uh,
0: very bright light, uh, which we later learn is probably whatever the mind- the, the, It's the, mind the, conditioning control, the ones. Right, yeah. the mind control that uh, is changing their perception. So what what might later in Dark Who have been called, oh, it's a perception filter. Right. Yep. Essentially, they, they, they don't call it that, but it's essentially how this works. Um, and- uh, they they encounter these sort of uh, these people, including Altos and Sabitha, who they all are seemingly very bland, lacking personality, mind control, drone ish folk um, who but want not to
2: not to not to the point that they're creepy,
0: right? Right, uh, just sort of bland people uh, yeah. say, who are willing to to <laughs> to cater to every single whim and need. Perfectly to the to the nth degree, Um, including a laboratory for the doctor. He 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 wishes for a a laboratory with every
2: conceivable scientific instrument. I'm going, dude. You've got the TARDIS. (laughs) That is a
0: laboratory with every
1: conceivable (laughs) scientific (laughs) instrument.
0: Right. Um, He, He later
2: kind of explains. He says he's hoping to find a way to fix the time circuit on the TARDIS. So he needs technology from off the TARDIS. But initially, just the, oh, I'm a scientist, I must want a lab, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just is kind of implausible the way they set it up.
0: Right, right. Uh, Susan predictably wants a beautiful dress and, and so on and so forth. And then uh, they they take a nap. Uh, they, it's it's bedtime. Uh, and they all lay down and go to sleep. And while they're sleeping, Sabitha comes out and places stones on their foreheads. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, this wouldn't work on me. I... I am a, yeah. I am a, a roller yeah. and uh, I don't sleep. Side sleeper, exactly. yeah. Defeat their uh, evil plan, and sure then, enough. And sure enough, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara <laughs> rolls over in her sleep and the stone falls off. Uh, mm. And when they wake the next morning, uh, you know, Ian and Susan and the doctor are having this sumptuous breakfast, drinking this amazing orange juice. and uh, uh, Crystal goblets. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Barbara wakes up and she's like, Barbara's reactions in this are just hysterical. She's like, she's shocked to the point of rudeness. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, she's like, get those rags away from me, to, to referring to uh, Susan's uh, lovely dress, and you know, the she throws the the goblet, which she sees as a disgusting mug. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and yeah. I love the I love the reveal of the mug because the doctor's yeah. just been talking to Susan, and we've seen the crystal goblets it's they're drinking out of. And yeah. They're going how beautiful they are, and then um, when the doctor tells Susan to get uh, get Barbara some fruit juice. Ian is in the foreground and the, and the doctor and Susan are in the background. So you can't see Susan's hands as she's pouring the fruit juice, but you just see her doing something behind Ian's back. And then she reaches around with this perfectly ordinary coffee mug. And it's a, it's, it's an effective reveal. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: It's a, uh, it's, it's filthy. She says, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, This the, the, uh, the, but earlier on the doctor and, uh, and Ian are like, look at these exquisite glasses, Chesterton. Uh, oh, can I have more orange juice, please? So you, they're really playing it up. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. And then Barbara wakes and uh, they, she's like, uh, no, it's filthy. And the doctor admonishes her. Now you've broken it. Uh, it's one of a set. <laughs> you've destroyed <Yeah>. one. <laughs> like, wow, it sounds like my mom. Uh, exactly.
2: And then I, I uh, guess. I guess you can chalk it up. Now, really, I think they're just interested in world building, and this is where the macguffin aspect of the plot kind of shows through in weak writing. But if you think about it, they're on this. They really want to get back on the TARDIS. They've agreed to go get these keys. They need their travel bracelets to do that. So when Barbara shows up, she loses her travel bracelet and doesn't go looking for it, and they have to bring it to her it's, oh, hey, my travel bracelet, thanks. Right. And then none of them spend any time initially looking for the key that's the reason they're there. None of them says, hey, do you know anything that looks like this? Have you ever seen one of these before? We're looking for something like this. They do no investigation about the key. They're just interacting with their new Greco-Roman environment. Well,
1: now The only thing I can, ex- I can say as a way to kind of try to, to try to maybe explain that is that when they got zapped with the mind control yeah. device, it helped with that. Right. You know, it, it kept them, it kept them focused more on the stuff. Right. That they were yeah. getting from them then instead of the image, instead of the, what they were there for in the first place.
2: Right. And so we can kind of headcanon that eventually we learned that the um, the the city that they're in is I mean, we see from Barbara perspective, it's all a dump. Yeah. And I and I love when the doctor and Ian are being shown the lab and we never actually get to see the lab. But the doctor's like holding up a piece of junk and going, "Oh yeah, with with scientific equipment like this, I bet yeah.
1: I can fix it's, the TARDIS." It's like an empty room. I mean, it was you know what we did see. of It was an empty room with a table and a mug, another mug, so, yeah, you know,
2: <laughs> with chips, the 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 uh, enameling chipped.
0: Right, yeah. right, yeah. and we.
2: We okay. learned that behind all of this yeah. are these creatures that live in glass cases that are basically brains with eye stalks. Yes. Um, I was waiting for them to start the, betting Quatloos on everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, although this precedes the Kwatlus, yes. uh, the gamesters of Triskelion. Um, apparently in the script, there's a little more information about these creatures. They're called Morpho and the city they're in is called Morphoton. Right. Um, and I think, Somewhere, I think in the script, it says that they outgrew their bodies, their brains it does, outgrew their it bodies. It does say that.
1: They do say yeah. that.
2: In which case, their bodies must have been really small if these brains busted out of them. <laughs> um, but oh, the, the most amazing thing, though, is so like Ian is totally under their power and they order Ian to kill Barbara. Right. And he proceeds to do so yeah. or try to yes. do so with no sign of struggle at all. We don't get one of the classic cliche oh I'm torn, I love this person, and now I'm being commanded to kill them. None
0: of that. Ian is just totally their willy drone. Right. And and meanwhile Barbara encounters Sabitha, who uh was the girl who placed the stones, who's under the control of uh Morpho. Um who is turns out to be Arbitan's daughter, who he'd sent to go get the keys. And she's wearing one of the keys on a chain around her neck. And and um, Barbara is able to eventually get her to respond and to snap out of it. Now, one of the things is um, Morpho is like, oh, we, in four hours, we'll give them the final treatment and they will be irredeemably under our control. Except except they weren't. Ex- well, except Sabitha and Altos were able to break, their, break free from their control, so... Uh, but right. maybe that's because the Morpho, they, they, did they, did they kill, I forget what, did they kill the brains in a jar? Char- yeah. Ian yes. breaks the glass. Yeah.
2: Well, Barbara starts smashing Barbara. the glass Barbara, and that's yeah. what stops Ian.
0: Right. Yep. Right. That's what it was. Um, if you have brains under glass, they must stay under glass. Otherwise it's a bad thing. <laughs>
1: um, why so- did you use plexiglass? Is another story, but yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So it actually makes some
2: sense. I mean, if your brain was exposed, you wouldn't. You would want it in
0: a sterile environment. If your yeah. brain had busted out of your body, well, this is true. This is true. Uh, and so, uh, you know, now that everyone is free, they bur- they're burning the city, and they need to uh, uh, escape from this. And
2: uh, oh, and that makes no sense because if I am a newly freed slave for mind control, my first thought is not going to be let's destroy the only material assets I have by burning down the city where I live and, that, and my house that it contains.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so this is at the point where the doctor gets the brilliant idea of he's going to skip ahead to the end, to the to the last location, while uh, Ian and Barbara and Susan continue on to the next two locations. He's going to try to find Altos's friend, Eprin, uh, in the city that we're going to come to. Uh, but they're going to, you know, take the long way around, so to speak. Um, Get the other two keys. Yeah. And Susan is like, she's sad because she's going to not gonna see her gra- the grandfather and decides to leave without, you know, really a long goodbye and disappears. And uh, and bar- leaving Barbara and Ian to, to, to catch up. And s- then she appears in this jungle, which is screaming and mm-hmm. overwhelms her. And that takes us to the next episode, The Screaming Jungle. Um, now, uh, I'm trying to remember so, exactly what happens with well, Susan here.
2: A, Susan is initially overwhelmed, but then the jungle stops screaming. And so when Ian and Barbara show up, they kind of start exploring their environment. Right. Um, they find this kind of stone jungle temple thing. And that's um, kind of booby trapped. And Barbara gets stuck in it and then Ian tries to get in. And it turns out there's this guy who is another one of of, uh, Arbitan's former associates who is here manning the temple and keeping the the key hidden. He actually um, has two keys, one of which is a fake. Right. And they realize that's a fake. And he eventually decides he can trust them, but he's apparently dying for no obvious reason. And uh, he gives them this message, DE302, and uh, points to a doorway. And and this is all as the jungle is preparing to become active again and start screaming, and then it's going to come to life and attack everybody. So Vine's... And that happens. So vines start to try to probe their way into the temple and strangle people and stuff like that. While Ian and Barbara are trying to figure out what DE302 means, their first thought is that it's a safe combination and there is a safe there and they try it, but it doesn't open the safe. So then as they're looking around and as the jungle is attacking them in the temple, um, they notice that there are all of these beakers filled with chemicals that have chemical formulas on them, and they decide DE3O2 is a chemical formula. So like the O2 is it's like an oxide, and um, it, this doesn't really quite work because there are no chemical elements on the periodic table that are known by either D or E, but... Um, And the TARDIS should be translating that for us into whatever uh, this would be. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's just a show. We should really just relax. And so in the Hooniverse, there are elements D and E as well as oxygen, and they find a beaker labeled DE302. And lo and behold, it does contain the key they're looking for.
1: It's kind of funny. Just doing a quick search here for DE302, I found someone... decided to answer that in fan fiction of course fan fiction they go all over the place uh-huh. but but mm-hmm. in this fan fiction they decided de 302 was the the metal that the time lords used to build tardises oh well oh, okay. okay yeah that's well, convenient so yeah. that's one explanation i mean again it's fan fiction so yeah. i mean there's there's fan fiction about everything and some things that are not safe for children shall we say but so yeah, it's, i it's, that was kind of cool and it- it's uh, Tritardis Oxide. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh,
0: I got. I don't have a lot of notes about this particular uh, episode of the serial, but uh, a couple it's of things. It's really t- adventure. Yeah. There's a couple of yeah. things that, that stood out for me. One is uh, this conversation with Barbara and Susan. They talk about how Ian treats them like fragile China, but once in a while they like to rebel a little bit, which is a, kind of a funny little moment. Yeah. Maybe it Maybe speaks of the... Uh, the time of it that it's yeah. from uh, this idea,
2: and, and, and Susan actually says she likes the way that Ian protects them. Yeah, and so there's there's kind of they have ambivalent feelings about this.
0: Right, right. So this that moment there, which is kind of a, a funny moment. It's sort of it sort of sets the tone for the, the the time frame that that this is uh, this show was created at that point.
2: Um, It's also it's also a human moment. We can appreciate things that people do, but they can those exact same things can also sometimes get on our nerves. Exactly.
0: Right. Right. Um, I also uh, uh, another note, which is, you know, Susan, she recognized the screaming, but didn't know where from where she'd heard it. And I I don't know that they ever paid that off. I I don't remember it getting paid off. Did they pay that off? I don't I don't think so. So kind of odd that that was not throwaway line. You could write some fan fiction about that. I think I will yeah. about uh, the time Susan encountered a living force. Uh, I'll call it Day of the Triffids, which is my other <laughs> note. Uh, this was, there was actual an accusation of uh, of uh, copyright infringement or plagiarism. Put it that way, that uh, the, the, an accusation that uh, the Terry Nation plagiarized Day of the Triffids, which was a story about plants that that come alive. Attack yeah the deck uh and as the and there was actually had to be an extensive uh um see uh, was he robert gould who wrote i think wrote day of the triffids um complained to the script editor that i think it's to the script editor that he had submitted a uh an outline about this to to somebody and that he claimed that they then stole this and give it to terry nation who turned it into the story i don't know uh they showed that was not the case yeah it was an interesting little episode but
2: yeah it also i think it's kind of overplaying one's hand because you no one person is going to have a monopoly on attacking plants not when there are things like venus flytraps in the world
0: well and it's sort of the i mean again the the nature of science fiction is, is that there's only so many truly original ideas that you can come up with uh, yeah. And, and this is early sort of early science fiction. And I think that they, they were still feeling this out um, uh, on this sort of idea.
1: Um, kind of a, a production production note. I got a kick out of um, the when they would climb on the 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 idol that would then spin around. Yeah. How it was an actual crew members hands that closed <laughs> in on them it yeah. like some set piece? It was an actual person back there. Yeah. You could, som- them.
0: you could sometimes see the fingers moving uh, independently. Yeah. Um, uh, well another thing is, is nobody ever believes poor susan like susan like it these things happen to her and everyone's sort of like oh you're just a a, 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 a oversensitive you're little hy- girl
2: yeah you're <laughs> hysterical
0: <laughs> it's and poor susan um but one of the the, the traps is uh, Barbara has this uh, net land on her, and then a spike trap is descending from above, and she's about to be impaled. And she's, "Oh, save me, save me!" And I'm thinking, if only she had a travel instantaneous travel device strapped to her yeah. wrist, she could survive. <laughs> like,
1: hello. <laughs> uh that's just a a little a little thing well i like i like how darius was standing there watching it too yeah yeah. here it comes this is my favorite part says darius (laughs) watching him get impaled
0: uh very strange so they they get the uh and and we never mentioned the reason that the, the forest the jungle is alive is because darius was conducting these experiments uh that with time with, and evolution. Right. And they the the plants had evolved too quickly. Um, another one of these. Be careful of science sort of uh, mm-hmm. stories. Um, and that brings us to the fourth episode. They 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 escape from there and head off That's, to the snows of terror. The they came snows to Montana
1: this last winter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, uh, an icy wasteland, as it's described. Uh, it actually <laughs> that sounds just like Montana too.
1: this last winter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um,
1: we have. I, uh,
2: I, go ahead. I like how I like how when they blink into this new Arctic environment, all of a sudden, Ian and Barbara are incredibly tired and pass out in the snow, <laughs> just because <laughs> yeah. they've been so strung out by their adventure in the screaming jungle that they showed no signs of tiredness in now they're now they're completely overwhelmed by
1: exhaustion don't don't you know if you go out when it's when it's that bitter cold you've got like 10 seconds to get where it's warm or you're just gonna pass out
2: yeah that's not how hypothermia works (laughs) well but they they don't explain it as hypothermia they explain it as being tired
1: yeah oh do they okay yeah they say i'm so tired and they you know yeah but if, if, I, I guess I got it was the idea of, you know, your that natural reaction of being, you know, you get tired and so you just pass out. Right.
0: And, and uh, we should say that uh, Sabitha, Altos and Susan had already left for this location uh, ahead right. of Ian and uh, Barbara. And so that they were already here. Uh, so uh, Ian and Barbara are discovered by this trapper, um, Vassor, Vassor. Um, and at one point, uh, like he's rubbing Barbara's hand and he's saying, do you fear me? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he exactly. is so he's, creepy. He's, a, um, he's also
2: telling her most men do. And it's like, well, then I probably should, too. Yeah.
0: And and, and that's actually introduces an element in this uh, sort of a, um, this is a family viewing hour sort of show. Yeah. Like this is a tea time show. Mo-
2: yeah, this is the most amazing thing. Once Ian has gone in search of Susan and Altos and and uh, Sabitha, Vassar is left alone in in the cabin with Barbara, and he tries to rape her. Yeah. yeah, and and now I think the way they got away with this, and it's just mind blowing. When I first saw this, um, that's like wow, I never dreamed I would see an attempted rape on Doctor Who. Um, especially in night in a 19, say, you know, well, 60s classic who,
1: at least, you yeah, know, yeah. who you might see something like that, but
2: yeah, but this, I mean, this was tea time family viewing and I think the reason they were able to get away with it is because like in, I, I thought about how I would have processed this as a kid And as a kid, I wouldn't have understood there was a that this was a rape attempt because they never mentioned sex. Yeah. Um, He's just like saying, I'm not going to wait any longer and kind of grabbing her and chasing her around and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would have processed that based on all the cartoons I'd seen as a kid. Where, like, you have one character trying to kiss another character and force kisses on someone, which was, you know, played for comedy in Looney Tunes and stuff. Now, today people would say, oh, sexual harassment. Um, Well, okay, yeah, Um, (laughs) but
0: that's how I would have processed it as a kid is this is like that. Exactly. Yeah. There are some truly creepy lines from Vassar here. He says, uh, oh, now we're alone. I must get you some food and fatten you up. (laughs) Which is yeah, I love to at her face, too, like, really? <laughs> yeah. But then he says, that door will keep anything out or in. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you're smooth, Vassar, real smooth.
1: Yeah. You've been up in the there's a of the little- There's a reason why he's a trapper living on his own on the
0: mountain. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say, he's been up on the mountain a little too long, I think. Um, He he, he does do one thing,
2: which is clever, which is when he sent Altos off – Um. To, to in search of Sabitha and, and Barbara, he gave him a pack that was full of meat, so yeah. that the wolves would smell it and <laughs> yes. uh, and yeah. and and come 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 attack him. The I, old and raw and in the bag trick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then and then I, I love how they deal with that. They uh, that once once. Ian realizes that's what's attracting the wolves. He
1: just chucks the pack away, so the
2: wolves will go after the <laughs> <Yeah>. pack.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I love too that the, the, the wolves are obviously like uh, reused from like a documentary, a yeah. nature yeah. documentary, stock yes. footage,
0: documentary footage.
1: <laughs> and now, meanwhile, Susan
0: and, and uh, Sabitha were abandoned in this uh, uh, cave by Vassar because he had found them first, uh, mm-hmm. and they're slowly. Uh, going cold up there until uh ian and barbara and uh altos find them there uh and that's where they're going to search for the key um and uh as they as they're they they kind of go deeper and deeper into this cave system that's where they they end up meeting up uh over this um this chasm yeah this mm-hmm. yeah this crevasse which is a a rope ladder and then um but they 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 don't pay attention and Vassar's on one side and they're on the other and he drops the, the bridge. Ha ha, I've got you now. You couldn't possibly leap five feet across this ch- this chasm exactly. to come back <laughs> and get me. Uh, but uh, so they do. <laughs> but, you know, they keep going deeper and um, they come to this room and this is I kind of think this is a little clever little setup. The key, uh, it's this is almost like a video, like a video game. You know what I mean? Uh, like oh. you have to get past the th- boss and the key is hidden in a puzzle.
2: I thought it was like Dungeons and Dragons. This felt very much to me like Same a Dungeons kind of and Dragons adventure. Right,
0: exactly.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much so. Uh,
0: let's. In fact, this is kind of a funny, like, uh, I, I've heard this hack before. Like, um, if you need to hide something in your house, hide it in a block of ice in your freezer Yes. because uh, no one will mm-hmm. ever look there. Um, so
1: like, the, key, the key is hidden in a... Like, if you want emergency cash, you put it, like, in a little waterproof container and then freeze it. Right. Exactly. Hmm. Um, uh, so
0: the the key is, is frozen in this giant block of ice with these pipes around it, which is clever. And which uh, are
2: connected to a volcanic spring. So it'll thaw the ice if you turn
0: the valve. Right. This valve, which is it's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, this was a kind of a funny moment. Uh, they find the key. Uh, Barbara says, Ian, over here, it's some kind of valve or something. Not or something—it's literally a valve. It's a valve. Okay. Yeah. It's not yeah. just a it's valve like a or valve something. Everybody
1: has in their house to turn on and off their water main
0: I mean, <laughs> exactly. or their garden hose. Yes, it's, it's a valve or something. Or yeah, it's a It's a, Barbara, it's a valve. Uh, but then there are these four, like a uh, frozen knights soldier knights yes. yeah yeah they look like knights and it's with the armor and the helmet and stuff uh which, stationed
2: or stationed around the frozen key block of ice to right. defend it
0: and, and none of our our heroes uh seem to think twice about these four knights that are standing there like uh, what I wonder what they're here for. Uh yeah, exactly. It's uh, very much I a, 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 a felt like an Indiana Jones vibe. They chose poorly
1: in this instance. I, my, my thought was we are the knights who say knee. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: You must open the block of ice with a herring. Uh So, <laughs> so they they melt the uh, ice which melts these characters who start coming after them with the swords and uh Ian cleverly yeah. collapses now, the, uh, the 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 wall or whatever, the entrance to temporarily block. Temporarily, them. Yeah. yeah.
2: Now, by the way, speaking of the walls, I, I love the set design. Mm-hmm. It's, it. they've got this hard plastic, clear, yeah. hard plastic right. to over the walls to make it look like it's ice. But in some places it's just plastic wrap. And at <laughs> one point Barbara has a line of, I didn't realize these walls aren't Rock, they're solid ice covered in plastic wrap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and but then when they thaw out the guards, so they they by the way they have two tasks here. They need to get the key back, and then they also need to get back across the chasm. Right now that um now that uh, Vasser has thrown down the bridge from his side, they can't reattach the the bridge uh, ropes to the other side. So. Barbara says maybe we can find some planks or something and put it across and and they don't actually do that instead they break off big icicles no they're and, logs and they they said they were logs no. uh, that's well,
0: that's what i saw in it what i
2: what i saw was icicles that, no, I thought that they looked they, like they
1: were icicles that they had lashed together because
2: yeah because they're very they're very um, thick on one end and thin on the other. Right, and so it, I, I thought that was a creative solution. If you're in an ice cave, break off icicles and crawl across those. So they then have Susan go across with a rope from the bridge, so they can reestablish the bridge.
0: Okay. Me, the the transcript me, I was reading it, the uh, it had it uh, the this the set direction on it as logs, but Ian's line is, is that maybe they'll freeze together. They're cold on the hands. Yeah. We don't want them to break. That sounds like ice. You're right.
2: Yeah. Um, they then uh, have, you know, f- uh, melted the ice block to get the key and the guards have come to life and are attacking them. And it's fascinating. The guards don't ask if Arbiton sent these people. I right. mean, they were here to guard something that Arbiton had hidden here and was presumably going to retrieve it some date. And you would think... They would ask, did Arbitan send you? (laughs) And if they don't ask, you would think the people retrieving the key would say, it's okay, Arbitan sent us. But nobody does any of that. And we have this battle chase sequence all the way back to, to Vassar's cabin where he gets impaled through the door by one of their swords and dies because, of course, he has to, being such a jerk.
1: Right. He's the bad guy. Um, way, I love the almost Wilhelm scream when the one guy falls into the, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, into, the into the crevasse. Yes. Um, I thought it was uh, Ian. Okay. So at the end of this, um, they, they're they in the cabin ca- cabin cabin uh, with, Va- like you said, with Vassar. And he gets impaled. And, cause, and Vassar's like, see, you're stuck with me now. I've got you now. And they're like, nope. And they, they have the travel dials. And they, they pop out uh, of there. Ah.
2: And here's another inconsistency in the travel mechanism, because they all pop out together. But in the next episode, Sentence of Death, Ian has popped in before everybody else does.
0: Yes. And well, long enough before for the action to happen, which is uh, he's appears in some sort of vault. There's a dead guy on the floor and Ian ignores the dead guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's the key. Oh, but the key. I'll go get the key. And and while he's trying for the key, somebody bashes him in the head with a mace, and uh, then puts the mace in his hand um, to, frame him. <laughs> to frame him. And I, As I was thinking, this is like, if he belted the other guy of the head, how do you end up on the floor? And where'd the key go? That was my question. Now I have to say, props to the to the script. They don't ignore this. This is actually the the whole well proud of the pun key to this to this episode, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is how did Ian get. Belted over the head. What's like, what is the theory of the crime? Uh, And they come up with one that's semi-plausible, at least, of how Ian ended up this way.
2: So their new environment is a city called Millennius, which suggests a thousand years. And um, it's a seemingly somewhat technological advanced city, but it's also overrun with Nazi knockoffs um you have these guys who are so Millennius kind of calls to mind the thousand year reich right. that hitler wanted to establish and all of these guys are dressed in in what look a lot like nazi uniforms like black ss uniforms right and um and you have this guy named Terran who's in a in an, an investigator that is like mr nazi interrogation stereotype <laughs> but he's a, in it, the
0: guardian it, division they call it
2: yeah, and we're told the laws in this country are a mockery. So by our characters, well, you're, you're so guilty until proven innocent, right? Yeah, so it's very much trying to call and and at this point you're going. So maybe the conscience of Marinus would have a few redeeming qualities, <laughs> exactly,
0: <laughs> or or that's evidence of a system that that does not place a lot of stock in free will. Um, yeah, oh, and, true And freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it sort of flows from that. Uh, And and so um
2: So they put Ian on trial for uh murdering this guy and he's presumed innocent and the doctor becomes his lawyer to get him off. And and uh so we have an investigation get started to try to figure out what really happened. I like how the judges in this investigation have these absurd headdresses. Yes, and (laughs) and what that's inspired by for Americans who wouldn't may not be aware is in England, judges will still wear these elaborate sheepskin wigs. And so judges have elaborate headdresses in England. And here we have an alien. They're not made out of sheepskin, but we have this alien version of a judge's ceremonial headdress. Right,
1: right. You and, know, and, one thought I had about this this whole trial um, scene, which I thought they, they did a, a really good job with it, again, you know, for the for only having 25 minutes. Um. In the uh, Star Trek D Space Nine, they kind of play with this idea where the Cardassian justice system is if you are you are found guilty before you even have a trial and the purpose of the trial is more to show how good the trial system is. The justice system is on (laughs) Cardassia. And you go there not to defend yourself, but to plead that you were wrong to defy the Cardassian government and that you should have a lighter sentence because you are sorry for what you did. It's pretty right. much a similar mindset. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that the the system is what's important, uh, the individual is not. Uh and that's that seems to be here. I feel like the um the the conspiracy was somewhat complex but well done. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like that that was well written, um that was believable. Uh the the various players in this conspiracy were were good. Um mm-hmm. so what we have is, is the relief guard the, the, so there was a guard inside the vault, and then there would be a relief guard outside the vault uh, to come in case the guard inside the vault needed him. And so uh, the relief guard was in on it, obviously, the inside man. And his wife, it turns out, was also in on it, along with the prosecutor. Not, and we don't know any of that at first. Right. We get this revealed little bit by little bit. Um, Susan and Barbara go to confront uh the relief guard and he he kept us Um, like yeah yeah they they kind of keep trapping him into into like revealing like so the you know we we actually have found the key you can't possibly have found the key i hit it too well i mean he does he does that like twice (laughs) twice. Twice. yeah this guy's not the brightest bulb on the tree here he's uh, i think they could have found a better uh accomplice uh in this and by the
2: way this episode just like we've commented about Some kind of jaw-dropping moral things earlier in this story, you know, the doctor not caring about free will, Vassar trying to rape Barbara. We get a couple of more startling things in this episode. Aiden hits his wife, right? Off-screen, actual off-screen, but we have actual spousal battery here. Yeah, you just which they they didn't even do in uh, in the Idiot's Lantern, where we had a guy who was engaged in at least emotional spouse abuse. But in New they, Who, they didn't they pulled back from the physicality. Here they don't. Right. We hear the sound of the slap. Um, and then later in court, he gets killed by a ray beam assassination in front of his wife, right. well, in which fact, is also we, kind of startling.
0: In fact, are we led to believe that she's the one who did it? That she's she shot him? Uh, maybe. I didn't get that, but maybe. I, I wasn't the, the action kind of happened pretty quick, and mm-hmm. at the end where the where everything's explained, uh, the the mandatory uh, explanation of of the conspiracy, uh, I thought that it, it was leading us to believe that she's the one who did it. Um, if so, she got hers. I guess <laughs> yes, she did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the doctor all along knows where the key is. He's he's figured it out, but she doesn't tell anybody. Because he knows that if he says he, you know, if he if he reveals, oh well, the key was here all the time, um, then it means th- 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 it doesn't get it doesn't prove that Ian is innocent. It just in- implicates the doctor. Um, he's mm-hmm. got to get the 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 actual conspiracy conspiracists to, to confess to or confess give
2: themselves away.
0: Right, right, and and he wants to use that knowledge uh, to, for his, for his benefit because you know the Taron the investigator. You know, says they've they've scanned the the uh, room using psychometric scanning techniques.
2: Yeah, uh, and they they checked the mace that was used to kill the original guard and determined it was not previously held by Ian. Right. So that gets Ian off the hook, and he says they did a psychometric examination of it. And I was really surprised to to for them to use that phrase because that's uh so psychometry. In the real world, is a proposed psychic ability to detect information about an object by handling it. The idea is a psychically sensitive person can hold an object and figure out things about the owner of the object. And so that's uh, something that, you know, they weren't called New Agers then, but that's something that's kind of been part of New Age psychic lore since 1854. I looked it up when was that term coined? so I find it interesting that they're pulling in that concept from psychic phenomena and using it here and saying, we did a psychic examination of this thing I and determined Ian's n- was not the previous guy who held it. And I'm just glad that psychic powers work so much better on Marinus than they do here because our <laughs> court should never listen to testimony exactly. like that.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and, and by the know, way, it does say in the, the, the last episode, you know, the, the, this, the scene on uh, Millennius was actually over two episodes. Right. Uh, that that Kayla did kill it. She had the gun hidden, and she okay. was the one that killed him.
0: Okay. Okay. Her so, husband. Oh, I, I I got that right. And so the key, it, it turns out, was hidden inside yeah. the mace for a very good reason, which is as the murder weapon, it would be removed from the the crime scene, and therefore, when they're searching the crime scene for where the key was hidden, it wouldn't they be wouldn't there. Find it. And They didn't
1: scan it. They had some kind of of like x-ray type scanner that everything had to go through before you came in and out, but it never was because it was, it was the murder weapon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if I ever have to hide something at a murder scene, I'm putting it in the murder weapon just so you know. Um, but don't you tell anyone don't give it away dude yeah. <laughs> no, no. As, a, as a criminal i'm supposed to give it away that's how i get caught don't you know that <laughs> but i i wrote in my notes that this was the law and order episode of doctor who uh, so he it was very very much it felt like a little bit uh, like a law and order um yeah. so uh aiden of course i mean, uh, ian of course is um uh not guilty and they have all the keys and return to. yeah.
2: By, by the way, before we leave Marinus, a couple yep. of notes. Um, I like the microphone. Uh, I like the telephones. Oh, yeah. That they yeah. have in Marinus. It's basically a rod that looks kind of like a microphone, but it has different grains of the holes on one end versus the other. So, you know, yep. which end to put up to your ear right. and which end to put up to your mouth. But I thought it was an effective bit of prop design.
1: But it could also be used as a uh, speakerphone. As well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I like that. I also found it amazing that the court does not care about the fate of the micro keys. Right. You know, we're taking them back to power this mind control device. It's going to take (laughs) over all of you guys and make your judge jobs redundant.
0: And the court (laughs) doesn't really care. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. That's true. I didn't I didn't think of that. That's a good point. And, and that was also another interesting point is the fact that they mentioned that this final location at Millennius, the story of Ian's trial, they did split it up over two episodes, unlike the previous ones. Um, and so we have a cliffhanger ending. Um, and- yeah, Susan, they're going to kill me. Thunk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh and then we we but once the trials over they return to the uh the island, island of glass and the sea of acid which we we were told that these were constructed that the sea of acid is not a naturally occurring phenomenon on this planet which is good it's like a defense mode right mm-hmm. uh because otherwise this would be a very a, a planet very poorly suited for human life uh if that was sort of the natural environment um So they return to this uh, to the island. And Arbertan has been killed in their absence. Wait, has he been killed in his in their absence? Yeah, yeah, He was like in the first episode. He he got got right after they left. Oh, right, right. One of the Vord got him. uh, So much happened, and that's like I kind of lost track. Uh, And and so the Vord are now in control. And Yartek, who's the leader of the Vord, uh, is wearing Arbertan's robe with uh, the hood up and. He's got this he's got this giant head thing all going on. But nobody seems to notice <laughs> yeah. that Arbiton yeah. suddenly has this giant head uh, under this hood. Uh, but well, you know. but, never seen way, Catholic
1: monks he, walk around with that. Oh, wait, this <laughs> hood don't stack up that high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: by the way, Yartek, we're told, is the original founder of the Vord. He it was him who figured out a way to resist the conscience. Right.
0: And, and in the end, uh, you know, the. This is the typical running around. There's not I mean they they some people get locked up and then they have to get released from the cell and uh and in the end the doctor ends up destroying um the actually it was it was Ian. It was Ian. Ian oh, does
2: it. They they right. shove was, all of the keys into the conscience to reactivate it. But because they got that false key in the Screaming Judge Jungle, right. Ian substitutes that for one of the real keys. And so when they shove in the false key, it causes the conscience to short itself out.
0: And and so we, we it's it's kind of, This is this if at anything is where we kind of get. The, them saying, you know, hey, it's probably just as well that we don't have a, a, a device that enslaves people. Uh, yeah. In, in I, 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 wrote,
2: I wrote down the line, the doctor is talking to Sabitha and saying machines can't make laws. Machines can make laws, which is kind of startling in and of itself. Yeah, right. But he says machines can make laws, but they cannot make justice. And so... He just delivers that as kind of his final summary, but he doesn't he doesn't seem particularly passionate about it. Right. And Sabitha, as the son of the guy who was the main ideologue behind the conscience, uh, at least in recent times, also doesn't seem she seems Okay with that too. Right. Nobody seems to have particularly strong
1: feelings about. Kind yeah, it's just like yeah, uh, just like, oh, oh, we'll this. just go back to Millennius. It was a nice place to live. So, yeah,
0: at which way I am wondering. Make a nice place to live. Well, so why didn't you just destroy the darn machine in the first place? Like if right. nobody kind of cares, maybe they should have <laughs> just destroyed it, the, so the Vord couldn't have used it. But yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So so I think it's kind of I think the idea of the conscience is interesting. I think that Terry Nation doesn't integrate it into the psychology of the characters and their motives well enough. It comes off as too MacGuffany. Right. But despite that fact, I still really enjoy the overall story of The Keys of Marinus. I think it's yeah. a fun adventure. I like that we go to all these different places, and there's like a different mystery and set of rules in each place. And I think it's an effective story.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... it. it... It's, it's an arc, a story arc, <laughs> which is yeah. sort of an early version of it. Um, and, when, and as we end, we don't get uh, the, a preview of the next episode. That's one thing that they've been doing. Yeah. I don't know about Marco Polo, but in other uh, serials, they've been kind of previewing the next adventure. But we don't get that here.
2: I'd have to check. This might have been at the end of one of, of their first renewal block or something, and they may not have known if they were going to get picked up for further episodes when this was written.
0: OK, OK. So, yeah, I, I, was, I, it looks like, um, yeah, it was it aired at the end of May and that that seems like it could possibly have been a, a, a uh, transition point. Yeah. It
2: also could be that it just, the story is complex enough. They were running long and didn't have time to insert, didn't have running time to insert um, a a preview of the next episode.
0: Right. Right. So uh, anything else you want to say about uh, the keys of Marinus uh, besides what we've already discussed? Uh, It's like you said, it's a fun story. So, you know, listener tell us what you think if you know if you get a chance to watch it it's available on BritBox uh, for sure and and there's uh, i'm sure other places as well uh give it a watch let us know what you think and uh and uh you know do you have the same impressions as, as we do of this um so give us some feedback visit us at sqpn.com or our Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us a comment there uh, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com uh, you can find links to all our personal uh, social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com and uh, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing uh, the 10th Doctor again as we jump back and forth uh, between the, the classic and the new this time we're going to be doing the 10th Doctor two part story Impossible Planet and The Satan Pit is such a great that that actually that name fits in with the keys of marinus names the velvet yeah. web the sea of death the satan pit uh yeah. <laughs> but anyway
2: Even the impossible planet
0: yes yeah. so until then uh, jimmy aiken thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of doctor who pleasure don uh, father Corey stika thank you as well glad to be here uh, once again i'm don bettinelli thank you for listening and remember who is he he's a doctor When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.